guys can be seated. Good job. Good morning. <clears throat> Hello? Okay. Uh, <clears throat> the voice is going. It's because I was like singing first service. <laughs> Not like in the band, but all right. My name is Derek. Welcome to Christian Church Buckhead. And uh, how are you feeling today? It's good? Okay. Uh, that's good. If you have a Bible, 1 Corinthians 16, uh, if you would. There's a page number on the screen if you picked up uh, a house Bible. You can just sit there. You don't have to turn the pages. Uh, any other scriptures we'll put on the screen uh, for you. Today is November the 14th, and every year we take a Sunday in November, and we set it aside, and we say all the offering that comes in that week we're going to give away. And um, <clears throat> so it's larger than a normal offering, and we give the money away to mission work here in the city and uh, across the world. And I think to, to date we have, our small church community has partnerships with some nine different missionaries and organizations both here in the city and around the world. And most of those have been going on for some time, a few years at a time. And uh, we have a few new You judge as, as we move through. But uh, so we do this every year. Last year was uh, amazing. Uh, $50,000 filled the basket. So I don't know where that's coming from, but thank you. And uh, so that's enabled us to turn right around and throughout the course of this year, uh, essentially been writing checks for $4,200 a month. Is that right? Is that the math? All the way through the end of the year, uh, just giving to different people and organizations that are serving um, people in very distressed areas, nice areas, urban, rural, you name it. And so it's just been, it's been fun to uh, kind of be a part of that narrative, and I've been here three and a half years. This is our third year uh, officially doing this, and so it's just been, uh, it's been fun to, to, so if you're new, that's what we do every year. Um, it's kind of a big giving day. All these cups, by the way, some people have asked, our children have been collecting change. I suppose their father's and mother's change, uh, and they've, they brought some cups in as part of it, so that's pretty cool. Um, we did this last year. See the little cups up here that say Christian Church Buckhead on them? Uh, we hate those cups. And when I started working here, there were boxes of these cups, like to the tune of like a thousand blue cups. And so I had this brilliant idea last year. Let's give them to the kids. They can put money in them, and then we'll get rid of them. And they're back. Um, you know, I went to Bible college, you know, like, I didn't think about the fact they're going to bring them back and leave them on the stage. So, all right. Uh, so, <laughs> anyway. Uh, we'll take and communion all at the same time in one motion. We do that each week anyway. And then we're going to sing uh, a little bit more. So, my sermon today is actually quite short. And I have some, thank you. And I have some, uh, <laughs> I have some, uh, who was here last Sunday, by the way? Just wasn't that an awesome weekend? Just we just did something you don't do in church. We just circled up and prayed. It was just awesome. So, um, but we're not going to do that today. I got I got some things uh, to say. All right, are you there? First Corinthians sixteen. Let me give you some backstory here. Uh, I, I, I do not recommend reading the first and second Corinthian letters on your own. <laughs> they are just filled with very confusing and. Honestly, just some scary, some scary stuff. Uh, and, but let me give you the story so it'll make sense. Paul, the apostle, right in the middle of the first century, 
spend some time in Athens. Acts 17 is this whole period in Athens you can read about. And um, Athens didn't go well for him. In fact, he was in Athens because he was in Thessalonica, and there was all this... um, he basically incited a riot. They wanted to kill him, and everybody was running it. So they, they shipped him off by boat to Athens, and they said, just chill here until further notice. Well, Paul doesn't just chill anywhere. So Paul begins to make his way around the city, and he notices all the different religious life and idols and all sorts of stuff. Well, he finds actually a Jewish community there, a synagogue, and he kind of teaches with them. But Paul somehow works his way. He gets some stage time with the Areopagus in the city of Athens, which in those days was the top-tier council of men that heard everything from ethical issues to moral issues to legal issues. So if you had a thing to say, if you wanted to get it to the top, you had to get in front of this council called the Areopagus. Socrates stood in front of these people. In fact, Socrates began his speech to the Areopagus saying, men of Athens, which is exactly how Paul begins his speech. It's interesting. And so Paul gets some stage time with the leading of, like, if anything's going to happen in Athens, it's going, to start, it's going to start there. Well, when you read Acts 17, he gives, in my opinion, the most extraordinary and imaginative uh, description of God and the story of Jesus. But it says, after, after they had heard Paul, the Scriptures say that they sneered at him, which means that they went... Well, that's five minutes I can't get back. I mean, that's what they said. (laughs) Mainly because Paul was talking about resurrection, and they kept thinking he was talking about another God, because there's the word Anastasius, and it was like, who is this Jesus and this Anastasius? Who is this other, who is this resurrection? And so they sneered at him. It says a couple of people believed him, but at the end of the day, Paul left the city of Athens depressed, stressed, maybe feeling like this is not working. No church presence in Athens at that time. So he left, and he walked for maybe three days to Corinth. Now, at the time Paul went to Corinth, it was a new city. It had been destroyed and rebuilt four or five years before Paul got there. It was populated with ex-war veterans, gamblers, prostitutes, artists, fixie bike riders, hipsters, liberals. This is the city of Corinth. It's amazing. There was a phrase circulating at the time of Paul, and it was the phrase, Corinthiazomai, and it simply means to live like a Corinthian. You're living like a Corinthian. Aristophanes would use that phrase when talking about someone who was sexually off the, off the chain. Oh, you must be from Corinth. (laughs) So, right on to the people of Corinth for living their lives in such a way that their reputation had a brand. Yes, my name is Claudius. I'm from down in Seatown. They would say, ah, yes, I know what you do on Friday nights. You go to the temple of Aphrodite and you pay one of the thousand prostitutes for an evening. This is the reputation. They have. We have an acquaintance who started a church on the strip of Vegas. I think it's the first church ever to be planted, not in Vegas, but on the strip. Their subtitle as a church is Stripping Church, which is not a promise to the outside world, like if you come here, this is what happens. 
but it's just their way of sort of, we're just going to take apart everything that you've ever thought about church being. But this is essentially the same, like, we just think that's crazy, like, Vegas. There's lots of churches in Vegas in the suburbs, but on the Strip, that's different. So, you, you, Paul enters a similar uh, context and says, you know, he gets to Corinth and he looks around and he says, hmm, I think a church could work here. And he plants one. And extraordinarily, it works. It's one of the most popular churches in the New Testament. Corinth. The church at Corinth is happening. Like, people are coming. All sorts of people are coming. All kinds of stories are getting together. And so he starts this church. He's there for some time, and he leaves. Then he starts getting these updates, right? New churches, you always get updates. And uh, that's how it's going. This is things that are troubling us. Well, he gets two kinds of updates. He gets a verbal update from a friend named Chloe, who's in that region. And then he gets a letter from the church themselves. So, in the letters and in the reports, he's hearing about all these different trouble spots uh, that the church is going through. And so Paul sits down and writes them some letters. And so the letters of First and Second Corinthians, there are three, by the way, we just have two um, in our Bible, but they're basically coaching sessions for this church. So when you read through, and maybe this will help you read through the letters, but when you read through it, you just run into all these different seemingly unconnected things like sexual stuff, marriage stuff, money stuff. This is how you should relate to uh, other people's stuff. This is how worship should look in your context. This is how, this is what communion means. He spends a great deal of time just explaining what communion is. And so all these different topics he just keeps uh, putting through the letter. But one topic that makes its way through both letters is the topic of generosity, which is very interesting. Why does he do that? Well, when a church is new and young, its, it's uh, continual focus is survival, right? Survival. Uh, the first five years of a church here in the States are critical. Uh, most struggle, many don't make it. Uh, we just, I was part of a team that just planted a church in Chattanooga recently, and they're like in their sixth or seventh week, I don't know. But the updates and the conversations are constant at this point because it's new. It's like survival. Are you going to make it? Is it going to work? What do you need? What are you struggling with? And so when you're in survival mode, you often don't think about anybody else but who? Yourself. So it's very interesting to me that in the 16th chapter of the first letter, Paul says, let's talk about this. Let's talk about generosity. And he says in verse 1, I want to walk you through this text just for a moment. Now, about the collection for God's people. Now, the story here is a few years prior to this letter going out, a few years prior to even the church in Corinth being in existence, there was a famine in the region where Jerusalem was. Now, in the ancient days, when there was a famine, everybody would go to the city. Why? Because the city was safe. The city had jobs. The city had uh, water. The city had food. The city had opportunity. The city was surviving. The city had export, import. The city could live. You could live and thrive in the city. And so there was this famine, and everybody flooded Jerusalem. In fact, when you read Acts 2 and 3 and 4, the beginnings of the church is happening essentially, 
it's happening there. All these people are coming into Jerusalem and it's overcrowding. And so Jerusalem is overcrowded with poor, homeless people uh, because of a famine, because of a tragedy. And so the church in its earliest days was doing the best she could to supply and meet the needs of the people that were there. Much of the passages, or many of the passages about um, where it says, like describing the church, uh, each, you know, they gave according to each other's needs. And they did. And that wasn't like this picture of like this utopian sort of thing. It was just the church responding to all these different things that were coming into, uh, into, into their um, sphere of, you know, influence there. Well, Paul uh, had three different passions that you can really pick up on when you read his story. One was that he loved to plant churches. And so in one part of his life, he would just go to city to city to city, and he would plant churches. Well, then he would coach and resource those churches. Every letter in the New Testament that Paul wrote is essentially a coaching letter. It's essentially a leader letter. Uh, the letters to Timothy, to Titus, to the churches in Galatia and Philippi and Colossae, and on and all these different letters, they're just in the Corinthian letters, they're just letters, him coaching do this, do that, maybe work on this and work on that. So he loved, he loved to do that. But he also was deeply passionate about justice and mission work. And so he spent three to five years of his life, not just planting churches and resourcing them, but basically begging them for money for the poor in Jerusalem. And so he would send, and you can find these in, most of, in many of his letters, where he would say, oh, and by the way, when I come to you, if you could have some money for me to take back to Jerusalem and give to the poor there, because we got this thing going on there that maybe you'll never experience, but this is what I'm working on on the side. So in verse 1, now about the collection for God's people, that's who he's talking about, the, the kids in Jerusalem, the poor, the homeless, those who are seeking safety. Do what I told the Galatian churches to do, which is really cool because what does Corinth care about Galatia? Zero. So there's something profound that Paul is doing. He's introducing them to this ecology in the church. And he's saying, do what I told the Galatian churches to do. He says, on the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections have to be made. Now, this is interesting because oftentimes when we think of generosity and giving and so forth like that, we feel like we have to be compelled to do that. Like there's got to be this welling up of perhaps guilt, emotion. It's got to be the right, like Sally Struthers video with the tears and the kid and okay, and then we give. But Paul paints a different picture that the Bible throughout is very clear about. He says, look, before I even get there, start setting aside some things that you can give towards this mission in Jerusalem, a sum of money in keeping with your income, which is both a percentage, but it's also like this teaching about be wise, saving it up so that when I come, no collections have to be made. So here's this thing about like, I'm not going to come and give like a home run sermon and compel you to give. In fact, I would like to just get there, basically, and we can just hang and worship and be a church, and then we can take the stuff you've already set aside. And so this is him introducing really a biblical principle that generosity is not out of compulsion, but it's intentional. Notice this verse from 2 Corinthians. We're going to have to skip ahead 
uh, to a couple sides, but 2 Corinthians 9, it says, each man should, and that's woman as well, so you're not out of the running here. Uh, <laughs> okay. All right. Each man should give what he has decided to give in his heart, right? Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a what? So the opposite is true too. God doesn't like a grumpy, <laughs> under compulsion, guilty giver. He doesn't like a crybaby. I mean, basically, God is like, well, just, if you're going to give it in that manner, just keep it. If it means that much to you, just keep it. But what God is looking for is this generosity that's quite intentional. I will be a generous person. And so Paul is directing this church uh, out of survival mode and into generosity mode. And it's not compulsive or impulsive, but it's, uh, it's intentional. And then he says in verse 3, Then when I arrive, I will give letters of introduction to the men you approve and send them with your gift to Jerusalem. I was, on, uh, I was talking via email to my Ph.D. brother in England, New Testament Ph.D., blah, 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 blah. And uh, he listens to these, so I'm sure to get an email tonight. Um, but he's the Greek scholar. I, I failed Hebrew, so it's a good relationship. Um, so I emailed him, and I had all these notes about what these letters of introduction were. And I was like, what are these, what are these letters of introduction? Like, help me out. Like, what is this? And so never ask a PhD, like, what is something? Because um, his first answer was, hmm. I'm like, come on, just what is it? You know? And uh, so he emails back and says, what, what's, your, what's the translation? I'm like, well, my translation is, this is due on Sunday. <laughs> That's the first time I've referred to a sermon as being due, by the way. <laughs> I got to get this done. All right. Uh, so he starts to explain, and like, it's this, it's this, and it's kind of matching up with what I have. And so I emailed back, and I said, so it's like an like ancient, uh, like a hall pass to get to where you need to go. And he emails back, I, I don't think I would use that terminology. And so somehow we settled, came together, somehow we settled on, this is the ancient equivalent of like a UPS FedEx packing slip. So Paul had the authority to come in and say, whatever you have to give to Jerusalem, I have the power to give you the necessary paperwork to get it straight to who it needs to go. So it's, let me pull you from survival into generosity, be intentional about that, and let me assure you that this is legit, is what he's saying. It's all going to the right people in the right place. And then he says in verse 4, if you need to, I'll go with them, basically. If it seems advisable for me to go also, then they will accompany me. So in a sense, you kind of feel like Paul doesn't have time for this, but at the same time, he's like, I can come down there if you need, or they can meet me here and we can go. And so all of this together, to me, a couple of things as we close. Back up to verse 1. Now about the collection for God's people, do what I told the Galatian churches to do. I love how he is teaching them in a, in a very creative way 
that this is bigger than you. That this thing God is doing is much bigger than your little hip church in Corinth. It's huge. It's Galatia, which you, never, you may never go there. But it's all these other places, all over the known world, where churches were cropping up and doing life. He's saying, you are part of a giant thing that's much bigger than you. Translated today, this is a whole lot bigger than Christian Church Buckhead. I mean, who are, who, who are we, really? You know? We're just a church that meets in a rented building, which, by the way, side story, last service thought this was funny, so I'll share it with you. Uh, do you all like this space? It's pretty cool. Thanks for the whistles. But um, it's also really odd. Well, this architect walks in on uh, Thursday, like you do, <laughs> And I'm walking through the lobby there, and he's here for some convention, and he's looking around, and he's like, this is such a beautiful space, and I kind of know the architect who designed it, and interesting, tell me some more. And so we, you know, we learn more and more about our space. And uh, so I say, because it's just on my mind, uh, what, what do you call this? What is this? I mean, what, what is this? And he says, well, it's modernism, but... The actual term for this is brutalism. <laughs> so that's welcoming. <laughs> Welcome. Brutalism. All right. Yeah, we're just a part of a big story, right? We're just part of a giant narrative. So Paul is saying, and you have to read this in context. Here's a church that's so concerned with itself and its own survival and its own problems. Paul says, let me, let me pull you out of that a little bit and introduce you to a world of opportunity. Idleness is a big theme in Paul's life. Don't, be, don't find yourself just idling because when you idle, you just kind of become inward. We used to say in youth ministry annually, this group needs a mission trip. Why? Because they're fighting over who sits where in the van. Really? Really. Who cares? They're fighting over this or that, or they're grumpy about this or that, and they're like, blah, 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 and we're like, we're going to Africa. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That's what Paul's doing. He's like, let me just, just pull you out of that, force you to give be generous. Because when you're generous, you're not idle. You got something to do. You got a project. You got something to accomplish. But when you're idle, you're just surviving. Just sitting still. So he's pulling them from this, calling them to be intentional, promising them that it's going to the right place. And then him saying at the very end there, I'll be there to make sure that it happens. Now, um, in conclusion, before I show you some pictures um, a couple of scriptures. Go to that Matthew passage. By the way, the guy running slides is named Matthew. Um, Matthew, go to the Matthew passage. This is what Jesus teaches about giving. When you give to the needy, um, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Interesting. Essentially, uh, what Paul was asking the Corinthians to do was to give to something that they would never see in return. 
They're never going to hear from those people in Jerusalem. They're never going to hear, a, they're not going to get a thank you card. They're, Jerusalem's not going to show up in Corinth and help them with their next building project. It's not going to happen. Paul's like, look, I want you to give, and it's going there, and then it's gone. It's going to get consumed so people will survive. Jesus says it this way, when you give, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Now, this is very difficult for us on the receiving end and on the giving end. On the giving end, it's just hard for us to not expect a thank you. On the receiving end, it's just difficult for us to receive and not feel like we have to pay that back. But the kind of generosity that God calls his church to is this kingdom-oriented, you know, heavenly kind of thing where it's like, it doesn't work the same way the world does. It's okay to give and forget. That's okay. It's okay to like, this is, this is the illustration Jesus is using. You got your hands and you take this thing and you give, but you hide this hand and you go, there you go. So it's okay. It's hard for us and we don't often and most of the time we don't experience that because we kind of expect like, not even a thank you, really? Okay. Or we receive and we feel compelled, like I can't pay you back, I can't pay you, I, I, I can't take it. This is the toughest obstacle in community and small groups is getting to a place where the giving and receiving is absorbed. It's very difficult. But this is what God has called his church to be, a place that intentionally is generous, but it has nothing to do with receiving, only giving. But when you give, don't let your left hand know what your right is doing. And then Paul says this finally in uh, 2 Corinthians 8, but just as you excel in everything, just as you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge and complete earnestness and your love for us, so there's all these things in there in your faith and the way you speak and live and your relationship, all that, see that you also excel in, and I've bold printed this for you, the grace of, like giving is a grace, and the grace of giving. See that you excel in that. So how do you excel at that? Well, you learn to give to things that don't give back. That's grace. You put yourself in positions where your generosity is not going to get paid back. That's how you excel in the grace of giving. Three years ago when we decided as a church that we would take a Sunday, take up as much money as we could, and then just give it away, it's that. It's learning to excel in the grace of giving. It's learning to take what we have and to give it away, not expecting anything in return. Does that make sense? This is what Paul is asking them to do. Let me share with some pictures. This is like old school missionary. Uh, here comes the slideshow. All right, first slide. I just want to run through a, just some of our relationships that we have, and then I want to close with a story. Anybody ever been to Jesus Place? We got some people going today, right? Let's hear it. Anybody go? Okay. Not too excited about that? All right. Uh, <laughs> let's hear it again. Who's going to Jesus Place today? Yeah, all right, that's good. Uh, Jesus Place is down, I think it's downtown, or is it more like, are they calling it like Midtown West now? Okay, yeah. <laughs> Don't we all do that here at Atlanta? Like, well, it's Shambly, but it's Buckhead. You know, we can reach it. Um, so a homeless mission is in Midtown West, you know, right next to all the hip coffee shops and stuff. But it's been, that, it's been in Atlanta since the 70s, about 40 years old. In fact, Jamie, who just told me where it's from, his father started this ministry uh, back in 1970, 
initially for the Jesus movement, the hippies that were just kind of, you know, what do we do after Woodstock kind of thing. Um, so, but over time it has become primarily a place that meets the needs of the homeless in Atlanta. And if you're familiar with Atlanta's homeless population, it's high. And so these missions are a dime a dozen, but we've been partnering with them for years, uh, even since before I got here. And teams go down regularly. Uh, there are projects that we're working on for 2011, and um, yeah, it's cool. It's actually Jamie's sister-in-law on the right, and those are two kids that are connected uh, with the mission. She, the uh, Paula on the right, and her husband, John, they run the mission. Just two wonderful people. Next slide. Um, I love this, uh, this bank of slides. We support three campus ministries in three different countries in different ways. This is Beth, by the way. It's not just a random iStock photo. That's Beth. And um, <laughs> this, is so, this makes me feel so old. Beth was my intern back years and years ago, but now she's leading the team in Tübingen, Germany. Uh, I think it's the first campus ministry in Germany. Um, and so it's pretty amazing. Uh, Tübingen, by the way, University of Tübingen is old. So it's very, Martin Luther took classes at Tübingen. Martin Luther rushed and tailgated at Tübingen. <laughs> so, uh, so it's an old place, but it's Germany. And in conversations with Beth, like pre-launch, you know, three years ago when she put this ministry there and her team, she's like, it's very difficult because you're in a place, you're in a country where just a couple of generations ago, uh, they were basically exterminating millions of people. And part of the backdrop for that genocide was the Bible. So it's not like here where we just put a sign out there and go, church meets here at 9, 30, 11. Kids programs, really fun. They don't trust that. They're, they're used to a twisted version of the gospel. Next slide. Um, this is a picture of maybe whatever's going on there in Germany. This could be a worship service or a beer drinking. I don't know. We don't know. I mean, it was just, it was just on their website, and I was like, this is amazing to see at least a crowd of people that they've been on the ground and working, in. and she has a five-year commitment there. I think we're entering our uh, fourth year with her, so it's pretty amazing. Next slide. Uh, do you recognize this girl, Lauren Love? Sometimes she leads worship here. If you're familiar, if you've been around, I call her LL because her name is Lauren Love. Um, but she joined a, a, a pretty long-standing ministry in Spain at the University of Salamanca, and so they have... Has anybody, we got some people that have been there, right? Do we got some Spain people in here? Yeah, there we go. Good. Uh, so you could probably tell more about it than I can, but um, one thing, she had lunch with us recently when she was home over the summer, and um, just hearing the stories of, like, just people, and we, uh, she shared a video with us when she was here last time, just from the retreats to the baptisms to the service projects and just the community that's being built. So we're just really, uh, I think this is her last year in Spain, and so uh, we've had a long three years with her. It's been fun. Next slide. Uh, who are my, oh, that's also Spain. Next slide. Anybody from Georgia Tech in here? Anybody? You guys are lame. Come on. <laughs> Anybody from Auburn in here? Yeah, so so we go. All right, let's redeem yourself. Any, any yellow jackets in the room? That's good. It's our last year to support Georgia Tech, so. Just kidding. We're Bulldogs fans in my home, so it's like, root for the Bulldogs. 
cook meals for Yellow Jackets. So, um, <laughs> no, but we've been. Uh, it's, Georgia Tech is one of the largest campus ministries in the country, and at a at a place like Georgia Tech, that's pretty substantial. And um, for a while, Georgia Tech was. I don't know if it's still this way, but for a long time, it was the number one feeder school to a seminary in Tennessee. Which means, you just got to think about that. I mean, when a seminary is looking at their schools, they're normally looking at their feeder schools being other Bible colleges and universities. But then you got this like top tier technical school. Number one feeding school to a seminary. So what is that? Well, that's basically a bunch of engineers and architects just laying down their nets and going into a different, a different way. But this ministry is uh, amazing. We go down once a month and feed. I don't cook very well, so I just go hang out with the students and uh, do whatever they tell me to do in the kitchen. But uh, next slide. Here's a picture of all the kids eating on the floor. Um, yeah. All right, next slide. This is a new partnership that we picked up. Uh, I, don't, um, I don't know if you've ever been to Kenya. We've got a few people. Uh, Adam and Christy Black were there earlier this year, two of our own. They were kind of there for personal reasons, doing some research on water stuff, and then they met up with this guy, uh, the guy in the car, uh, Gene, and all these kids are reaching in for water. Uh, Next slide. Um, So here's a picture of the containers for water, and this guy and his wife have been there since uh, 1995, doing church work, they're digging wells, they're just working in highly distressed areas, and so uh, when, they, when Adam and Christy came back and were sharing stories, we began to just pray and talk through about, you know what, we're, we're not in Africa. We don't have anything in Africa. Could this be a relationship? And so, um, yeah, excited about that. I would look for trips. I would just be on the lookout. Some stuff to maybe connect with. Next slide. This is Adam and uh, Holly Mackenzie. These are two of our own, by the way, and that is the most rock star picture of Adam I've ever seen. <laughs> And Holly's looking her normal sort of Molly Ringwald, you know, pretty in pink, you know, 16 candles look. But uh, they are two of our own. They've been here for years. And then uh, next slide, they moved to this place in Tegucigalpa, Honduras. Our church has taken at least two trips a year uh, to Tegucigalpa over the last few years. And uh, this, you can sort of see, but there are people in there, and that's the city dump. And um, Parents and children would find things to live on in the dump. Well, years and years ago, a pastor in the community started a school for the children uh, while their parents worked, quote-unquote, so he could teach, kind of change the narrative, you know? That's kind of the idea, like, maybe we can change the cycle. Um, So, Adam and Holly did some trips down there. Uh, Holly is a medical nurse. Adam has a degree in Bible, so... You pretty much do what the nurse does, all right? Because if we didn't do ministry, we're, <laughs> we don't have any skills. So Holly said, we're moving to Honduras, and we're going to start a clinic, and you're going to work with the church and the school. He said, yes, ma'am, and they've been raising money. Um, they've been raising money for a while, and we, this was the first couple in our church to do this. And so if you were here with us last year, we gave them like, we kind of gave them like a tipping point check of like 5000 on the stage and just said, just put that, just go, just go, just go. And then we've added them to our support list for next year. They're in language school right now um, in Honduras, and they'll be back for Christmas to share some stories. And then 
they'll be on the ground uh, working with these families. It's just exciting. So, uh, next slide. Us Mexico. Uh, anybody here go to the Casas trips when we've done those? Anybody? Yeah. There we go. Yeah. Um, that's Pete in the big hat. He's the missionary, one of the missionaries that works with Casas for Cristo. They basically build homes, if you're new. They, they build homes for the homeless uh, in Juarez and Acuna, Mexico. Um, just a, I've been on a lot of building trips. Like I've done mission trips for years and years and years, and a countless number of building trips. This is the best. I mean, you show up on the job site, there's wood, there's even nails, there's stuff you need, there's tools you need. Uh, they don't even have blueprints. I mean, Pete's just like, just yelling out orders, boards this long, things this long. See, I only know the term boards, but boards this long, <laughs> boards this long, boards that long. And we, somehow we build a, you know, a two or three room house in a couple of days. Uh, it's pretty amazing. Just for proof, by the way, next slide, the, that's me roofing. Just want you all to know. Uh, yeah. So... That's a cool hat, by the way. Um, <laughs> next slide. That's some of our team uh, that went a few years back. That, see that guy in the blue shirt with his arms folded? That's what he did the whole trip. <laughs> uh, he came at the last minute. We had a couple of open spots, and I knew him through a guy who was in a band. I mean, it was one of those things. And he was like, totally, man. And then his status updates were like totally false. You know, he was just like, dude, we're totally rocking it out in Mexico. Like, it's like, you're not even dirty, so <laughs> get to work. Uh, sorry. Now, just leave that up there. I want to leave you with uh, this just personal story. It's not a, a, an amazing story, but uh, my first Sunday here at this church three and a half years ago, I always sit over here. And uh, I don't remember a lot about that day. Like, I kind of remember what the sermon was, and I, I sort of remember the people I met and kind of what was going on. I don't remember the songs. I don't remember uh, anything like that. But someone got on stage and announced the Mexico trip, right? And I remember uh, for the summer, and I remember my wife saying right there on that row, sounds like something you should go and do. Because, um, you know, she knows that, that I, I just I love to do trips like that, and um, that was my first memory. It wasn't of anything other than something that was beyond us. That's my first memory of this church, is that uh, a memory of service, of outwardness, of generosity, of essentially someone saying, like, almost like there's like an ethos in that statement, like, hey, we're going to Mexico or wherever, and what's being said is, this is not all there is. This is great, by the way, the band, the stuff, it's just great, but this is just small. It's just a small thing. Paul says, help me do some things for people that you'll never meet, they'll never thank you, they'll never send letters, They'll never show up and help you with your next project. But why don't you help me along with all these other places from Galatia and Sarant? Let me just help me do this for people and be generous in a Jesus kind of way where you just give it and you let it go and you just move on. And you let God do what he does. My favorite story 
My favorite miracle story is the feedings. I love those. You know, where the disciples are so mature. But Jesus, we don't have any food. And Jesus is like, what's, what's the boy having his Star Wars lunchbox over there, right? And he takes a few pieces of bread and some fish, and he just blows their minds. I mean, you had to know that, like, post-miracle, they're all looking at Peter, because certainly he's the one that speaks up, like, dude, stop speaking up. Jesus just takes two fish, some bread, and he just multiplies.